tonight we are going to uh, finish the 10th chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to consider the third part of this covenant that the people made with the Lord in response to the renewed emphasis on the Scriptures. Uh, so far we have seen the first two elements of this covenantal agreement, which were uh, spousal separation and the sacredness of the Sabbath. And the third part is supporting the sanctuary. So I want to take our reading from verse 28, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. So Nehemiah chapter 10, and we'll read from verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethiams, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives their sons and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his judgments and his statutes. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Also we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread and for the continual meat offering and for the continual burnt offering of the Sabbaths, of the new moons, for the set feasts and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. And we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites and the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God and after the houses of our fathers at times appointed a year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law and to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year unto the house of the Lord also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law and the firstlings of our herbs and of our flocks to bring to the house of our God unto the priests that minister into the house of our God. And that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and our offerings and the fruit of all manner of trees, of wine and of oil unto the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers, into the treasure house. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, and the oil unto the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary, and the priests that minister, and the porters and the singers, and we will not forsake the house of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this opportunity that we have to meet in this way. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Father, we know that uh, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And Father, we do pray uh, that you would teach us from your word tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now the phrase house of our God or house of our Lord is the key phrase in the text before us. Uh, It occurs nine times in these verses. And this phrase is speaking of the restored temple. And the people vow within this third component of this covenant that they would be faithful and obedient in providing what was required for the house of God to function. It is evident that they had been slack and sinful in their giving. They had failed to fulfill their divine obligations in providing their material possessions so the ministry of the temple could function as God intended. I found it particularly interesting that of the three things included in this covenant, that giving to God's work was one of them. I'm sure if we conducted a survey throughout the church and the question was asked, you know, what three things are in the greatest need of reformation in the church? Or what three duties are Christians most neglectful? I'm sure giving would not make the list. In fact, I think it's safe to say that it would not make the top ten. And yet here we have God's people. There is a great spiritual work is unfolding. There is a newfound emphasis on the preaching and teaching of the word. The Holy Spirit is working. You know, the authority of the scriptures had grabbed hold and this was governing how they wanted to live their lives. And one of the chief areas that they identify that needs reforming is their giving of tithes and offerings. And this account before us identifies some valuable principles to help you and I in our giving. And I'd like to unfold these principles this evening. So firstly, we see the command to give. It was obviously abundantly clear to this community, as the scriptures were read and taught, that it was expected by God that they should give. This was not something that they could do if they felt like it, you know, if they wanted to. Nor was this an activity just for the super rich or the super spiritual. It is apparent from the making of this communal covenant that to these people it was abundantly clear from the law that they were to support God's house and its Workers, They were to supply the necessary material means so the house of God could function and so that they who worked within the temple could also survive. Now we could turn to numerous texts within the law that stipulate God's demands. Uh, We see in verse 35, 36 and 37 of our text, we read of the first fruits, we read of the firstborn and also giving A tithe. The word tithe simply means a tenth. And Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18 spell out in great detail the requirement to give in these areas. So allow me to give you just a couple of specific verses. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, And all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So this requires that a tithe be given because it belonged to the Lord. 
Numbers 18.21 says, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the Lord designed that the tithe be used to pay the Levites for their ministry. And we must remember that the tribe of Levi had no land allotted to them like the other tribes. And hence, this is how they would survive, by the tithe. So the law of God was clear that the people were to give. And it was only right for God to make this demand for everything that the people possessed had been given to them by God. And hence the Lord makes it crystal clear that his people were to give out of their own pockets to support God's work. This is the divine plan to support the ministry. But the question is, do we see this in the New Testament? Well, it's clear that we as God's people are to support the work. In fact, this is commanded for the believer. We are obligated to financially support the ministry of our local church. So allow me to give you some scriptures and some quick comments. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So the one who is taught the word is to provide or to support, that's what the term communicate means, the one who teaches. So those who feed and bless us spiritually should be supported by us financially. So we are to provide for the temporal needs of the teachers of the word. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour. Especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labourer is worthy of his hire. A double honour in this verse speaks of financial support. The apostle had used the same word previously to instruct the church in supporting the widows. And here he makes it clear that the elders who labor in the word deserve remuneration. That is the biblical principle. The apostle employs an Old Testament metaphor. He speaks of the ox. And as the ox works in the field, he was allowed to eat some of the corn to keep him going, to keep him recharged. It was against the law to muzzle the ox and expect him to work for nothing. And that is the idea portrayed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul employs this same ox metaphor. And in his teaching in that text, he makes the point that it's only right for they who have sown spiritually to be provided for physically. He makes it plain that it is right for the spiritual work of God's ministers to be repaid with material support. So it is the clear teaching of the scriptures that that you and I are commanded to give. It is our obligation to support those who labor in the word. That is God's expectation of us. And hence, if we are guilty of not giving, then we are robbing God. In Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? 
Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have you robbed me in tithes and offerings? You know, when you and I fail in our duty to give and provide appropriate support, it's not only the church and the minister who goes without, but it's actually robbing God. That is the seriousness of failing to give as we are instructed to. Uh, Secondly, I I want to see the categories of giving. Within this covenantal agreement to provide material assistance, the people agree to do two things. And this identifies two categories of giving. So firstly, they agree to give as God commanded. And secondly, they agree to give to special needs as required. And these were the two categories found within. So the first category we have already alluded to, and it's that which is commanded by God. We saw this in both the tithing and also the giving of the first fruits and the firstborn. So obviously in the Old Testament times they lived in an agricultural society and hence this governed and determined how and what they would give. So in verse 35 it speaks of the first fruits and this is a reference to the first agricultural produce of a season and more often than not this would be the best of the crop and this was to be given to the Lord. Verse 36 speaks of the firstborn. This is speaking of both the son and the beast. And this too would be given to the Lord. But more often than not, people redeemed the firstborn by paying a monetary price. And this imagery was to remind them of how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. And they also gave the tithe according to verse 37. And in this time, that would speak of 10% of any grain that had been produced. So any gain or grain, gain that had been produced, you know, whether uh, crops or money. So they would give 10% to the Lord according to Leviticus 27.30. But in fact, there is actually two different tithes. And really they gave 20%. For there is another feast tithe according to Deuteronomy 14.22. And every third year there was a tithe for the poor, according to Deuteronomy 14.28. So altogether they gave 23.33% unto God as prescribed in his law. So this is the first category of their giving. They gave what was commanded to give. But there was a second category and that was special giving. In verse 32, they gave an annual tax to the temple. Now, this is not prescribed within the law. In Exodus 30, there is a tax for the sanctuary, but this was only taken at the census. It was not an annual tax like in our text. And hence here they gave over and beyond what they had to. And we see this also in verse 34. The people placed on a roster type system that was determined by the drawing of lots. Now this roster was, was to supply the temple with the timber for the sacrifices. And nowhere within the law is this demanded. 
We are told in Leviticus 6 that the fire on the brazen altar was to be kept burning constantly. And obviously this demanded much timber. And hence the people decided to meet this need. And hence this is the second type of giving. Where one donates to assist with a special cause. And these two categories are also evident in the New Testament. There is the first, which we have already considered. We are commanded to support our local church. This is our obligation. But there is a second type of giving, and that is assisting a particular need. And this is the type of giving addressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, Paul is taking up this special offering to help a suffering church. So this is the type of giving that you and I can participate in. You know, giving to help a particular individual or organization. And this is over and beyond our normal giving to our local church. So our giving is certainly not restricted to the local church, but it certainly ought to include giving to the local church. For that is Jesus' plan for how his church is to function. Now, so you can really think of giving as you know, tithing, which is our commitment to our church, and then there is giving, which is on top of that, you know, to another worthwhile cause. Oh, thirdly, now I want to consider, you know, should church clergy give? Now, clergy is probably not the best word, but it fit my outline. You know, should church pastors give? You no, know, should should a minister tithe? Or should he who is supported by the church giving also give? Or does it make sense to give back to the place that has given to the minister? Or what does our God expect? You know, what should we as pastors be doing? I'd like to draw your attention to verse 38, which says, And the priest, the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers, into the treasure house. So the tithe was given by the people to the Levites. Remember, as I said before, the Levites didn't have any land. They were set apart for God's service, and their very survival depended on the giving of the people. And hence the tithe was implemented to support those who were ministering. In verse 38, we are informed that the Levites were to give a tithe of the tithes. So from all that was given, they were to give a tithe from that to the Lord. And hence the Levites were not exempt from giving. Now this practice is found in the law of God. Numbers 18.26, it says, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When you take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, that you shall offer up an heath offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. So the Levites themselves were not exempt from tithing. They were also to give a tenth for that was due to the Lord. Now, it was important for the Levites to learn how to be givers also. Now, just because they were supported through the giving of God's people, it did not mean that they didn't need to give. 
You know, and, I, and I believe this principle can be readily applied to ministers of the new covenant. You know, we too are to give to the church. You know, we are not exempt from giving because we are supported from the giving. The Lord has the same expectations for the whole body, including they who are paid by the church. Now, we all need to learn how to be givers, including ministers. For our God is a generous giver, and we are instructed to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And hence, we should give. And also, the pastor is to set the example. He is to be the role model And this includes the area of giving. And so the church clergy are certainly not exempt from contributing to the offering plate. You know, God exempts no one from giving to him. Uh, Fourthly and finally, I want to consider the careful conduct in the giving. Again, I'd like to draw your attention to verse 38, which says, And the priest the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes. So when the people came to give their tithes to the Levites, there was a safeguard instilled that a priest would have been present. So we need to remember that to be a priest, one had to be a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. And a representative or representatives from the priests had to be present with the Levites when they collected the tithes. And this provided a double protection. So firstly, it ensured protection from mishandling the tithes. So this was designed to ensure that integrity is maintained. And temptation to do what is wrong is drastically diminished by ensuring there is accountability. Now the presence of the priests ensure that the Levites were not taking more from the people than they ought to. It helped ensure that the people giving were not shortchanging God, and that the Levites were also giving a tithe of the tithe as instructed by God. So the presence of the priest was meant to assist in ensuring that there was no wrongdoing in these transactions. And secondly, it ensured protection from slanderous accusations against the Levites. If there was no safeguards or measures put in place to protect they who were collecting the giving, it could potentially allow for the opportunity for accusations to be made against the Levites. You know, the, the Levites are doing something wrong. They are, they are taking this money that they shouldn't. And then it simply becomes their word against ours, and it can be very difficult for the Levites to defend themselves even when they are innocents. And hence, this safeguard is implemented. And likewise, the church too needs safeguards to provide protection when it comes to financial matters. The church needs to be protected from dishonesty and theft, you know, unfortunately, there are far too many examples where the treasurer has defrauded the church. And likewise, there needs to be safeguards to protect from slanderous accusations. And you know, our church has implemented measures where, where two people have to count the money and sign, and the figures need to add up. You know, we are very careful and aware of the potential dangers and desire to remove any temptation to do what is wrong. 
you know, and to provide safeguards to protect from slanderous accusations. Because when it comes to money particularly, you know, the church can never be too careful or have too many safeguards. So these are the four principles that we can glean from the text to help us understand and be discerning about giving. Money and giving are topics that we don't really like to hear about. But the Bible has much to say, probably even more than you realize. And from the text before us, it's fascinating that it's included in this Covenant. Only three things are listed and their responsibility to provide for God's work is included. And I think this says something about you know, giving being something that we often don't get right. You know, and perhaps we need to consider our giving habits this evening. You know, maybe the need to be you know, reformed like these people are needed. You know, a renewed commitment to be obedient in the realm of giving. Perhaps it is the amount or perhaps it is the attitude. Whatever it is in your scenario, with God's grace, make the required change. Give as God instructs you to give and the blessings you obtain will be great. For it's far greater to give than to receive. Forgiving often does more good for the giver than the receiver. Now, or perhaps tonight giving is something that you, by God's grace, you know, have got sorted out. It's not an issue. You, know, you love to give. You understand that it's what God expects. And you offer the sacrifice willingly and diligently. You know, if this is you this evening, you know, I encourage you to continue on. You know, to be faithful. You know, to remember that when you give, it is an act of worship And you are making an eternal investment. And great will be the dividend. For my friend, no one can outgive God and he will be no man's debtor. Rest assured that your giving will yield far greater dividend than any earthly investment that you can ever make. And you can rest assured that your laying up of treasures in heaven will never disappoint like so many of our earthly investments do. You know, as Christians, we are called to be like Christ. You know, and no one has given like he has. You know, and hence we ought to give. You know, for in Jesus' words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen.